0: Hey, Fat Faces. Hi, everybody. Thanks so much for listening today. We wanted to give you a brief content warning. Today, we'll be discussing
1: religion, fundamentalist Christianity, deconstructing faith, mental health, and fat phobia. These topics seem like, you know, they might be unsafe for you. Maybe this is an episode you skip, or at least make sure you're in a safe space before listening to this episode. We love you so very much.
0: I'm Amanda. And I'm Erin. We've got fat faces. And we've got some feelings. (laughs) Hey Fat Faces, what up? <laughs> See, I told y'all it takes a little bit of podcasting and I start yelling again. <laughs> um, Welcome to episode number... Fifteen? Fifteen. Fifteen, are we it? Oh full my blown goodness. Teenager Full-blown teenager podcast, baby. <laughs> and we're really excited. Today is a super special day. Um, We... Well, more Amanda, really. I'm going to say... I'm going to give a little intro, but I want you to introduce our friend that's here with us today because I think you have kind of been the impetus for this. But um, as we've talked before, like Instagram has been a really amazing part of how this community has come together. And we've been so excited and um, just amazed by the people that we've met through Instagram. The internet is a wonderful place. And so a few weeks ago, I think it was, I can't, I don't know how long it was now, but Amanda said, Oh, there's this amazing artist. And, um, we started talking and so I'm going to let you take it from there. Yeah.
1: Thanks. So, (laughs) um, So, yeah, it it feels like it was just yesterday, (laughs) but, like, um, it was just, like, a few weeks ago, and um, I was perusing Instagram, as I do, and um, I came across this beautiful um, piece of art with this, like, it's this blue image Of this fat woman with her hands in the air her legs were crossed and it just said fat across her chest and i was like i just love everything about this image um so immediately i'm a nerd about looking for the original i'm like who's the artist who's the artist you know because frequently you can share something and it's not by the original artist um so like and sometimes you have to like go back a little bit to find so i i found the artist um well Actually, she found me more more true. <laughs> so, like, I commented on the photo, and I said... I was like, well, I want this tattooed on my body. Something along those lines. And then Catherine um, <laughs> commented back. And before I knew it, all of a sudden, we're, like, Instagramming... Or we're on the um, instant messenger going back and forth with each other. Um, so, we... <laughs> We have been super, super, super lucky because Catherine came all the way to Seattle, y'all, just through the magic of love and connection and fat liberation. Um, So we are sitting in Erin's office today, um, and we are sitting with Catherine Hack, who is an artist and who is just, as we're learning, a very liberated, free woman, and we're just so excited to share her with you today. Yay. Yay. Catherine, we kind of introduced you, but we're obviously we're just getting to know you too. So, mm-hmm. what do you want the listeners out there to know to, to know about you?
2: Yay! Well, first, I want to say thank you both of you. I'm pretty excited to be here. So excited that I did pack up my minivan and <laughs> use this as an amazing excuse to see some old friends and go all the way up from California to to Seattle. So, um, that is a really big question. What I want the listeners of Fat Faces that face feelings to know, but (laughs) I, in my life, the journey to fat liberation, art has played a really, really powerful role. And so I would just like to share some about that and that encourage people that sometimes creative problem solving or creative, adding creativity to what we're working on and what our work is can be life altering, life changing, hugely impactful
0: so if we kind of start from the beginning a little bit can you talk about like when did you come to identify yourself as a fat person and and a little bit about that process and how did you find fat liberation
2: yeah um i'm a 40 year old woman now and i wish that i had known about the fat liberation movement sooner i was maybe in my mid thirties when I first heard I actually heard Lindy West talking about identifying as a fat woman in an interview with Ira Glass on I think this American life and I was listening with with like my whole body felt like it just it just leaned in really hard because I was identifying with her stories and her perspective and in hearing freedom, hearing it in her voice and and wanting it and just thinking this was the most attractive thing I've ever heard. And I'm really, really interested. So then in my own story though, it took a little longer. I just sort of played with like, wow, what could this mean for me? And I sent the podcast to my best friend, like, what do you think about this? Like, isn't this amazing? And then we went back and forth talking to each other about it. and, And then, I think it's been in the last year where I'm like, oh yeah, I'm a fat woman, that's what my body is, and, and and then more recently just started being really comfortable saying, oh, I'm a fat activist, I make fat art, and art has been hugely impactful in my life, and I think that all bodies deserve representation, and that fat people should be able to see fine art, beautiful art, representing what their form looks like as well.
0: Yeah, I think... We definitely agree, obviously, because that's what drew drew us to what you were putting out there on Instagram. um and so today, uh, when you showed up, you know, I think we were a little bit giddy of like, oh my goodness, like we have no idea what to expect of this and and we met you and you kind of popped into the elevator and kind of my first impression of you was just like. You have your amazing pink hair Yay. and your pink glasses and then you've got this pink um kind of over shirt thing going on and I was like you're so like bright and rosy yeah. and warm mm. and um so far that I think that's really been our experience of you and so um it's so interesting to me because I think um sometimes there's that stereotypical um artists sometimes are a little bit aloof,
2: too cool for school. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's not me. I'm not cool at all. Or (laughs) like, (laughs) like I'm awesome, but not cool.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Very awesome. (laughs) You're very cool to me. Um, but you're so warm and, and you've been so generous and gracious Mm -hmm. and and being open about your story. And so what about, um, kind of who you are and, and even who you were before you found body positivity, um, what is it about you that has made you, um, so open and willing Mm. to share that about yourself with others?
2: Yeah. What a good question. Thank you, Erin. So, um, what's true about me, if I go back and look over the whole course of my life is that I've always been very interested in other human beings. I, I score high on those empathetic tests, right? Um, and so, the, the connection between other human beings. And, and whenever I experience any kind of freedom in my life or anything that brings me joy or pleasure, um, I really, really want to share that. And I, I just it's sort of intrinsically in, in how my temperament is. And um, my husband and I, when we, we were just dating, he would say, you're you're kind of altruistically bossy. <laughs> and so, and I was like, oh, that's a super nice way of putting it. But even if it's something as simple, like I have people to my home, I like kind of force extra pillows on them. And, you know, so there's this, this quality of like being enthusiastic about something myself and wanting to share that with other people. Um, my professional background over a decade ago now includes vocational ministry. And so I did that for a decade. and um, it was actually a really good vocation for me. It was a really appropriate, good fit. I, I'm i someone that naturally likes to help cultivate community. I love teaching people things that I've learned. I love the process of growth, whether it's spiritual growth or intellectual growth. You know, I'm a curious person, so engaging in that with other curious people is something that brings me a lot of passion in life. Um, and in, in my own story, my worldview shifted so that the vocational ministry I was doing in the denomination that I was a part of was no longer a real fit. And um, it was a, it was definitely a painful shift in my life. I mean, when your whole worldview changes, that's pretty epic. But it's, um, it was something that I just had to put down, put ministry down, and just sort of trust, like, well, if this is supposed to come back in some other shape or form, then It'll sort of have to on its own. I, there's no part of me that can kind of regenerate this or make this happen. Um, and then finding the fat community and learning about fat liberation, I feel like the parts of me that were so like at home in that ministry world are able to breathe life again. Mm. So there's this, this amazing calling together of, of all people to say, you know, Loving the body you happen to you're living your life in is your birthright. And our culture is toxic in that it has told us over and over again that there's something wrong with your body. And this is even for people who identify as thin or smaller body than I happen to. The fact that peace of mind and just either neutrality or let alone love or acceptance of your body is hard to attain for most of us is is. Is it a kind of oppression that I want us all collectively to throw off? I want us to say, oh no, we're just done with that. We're done with that now. I think all of us, we can just be done with it.
1: Oh, I love that.
2: That's a permission slip everybody needed, I think. Yeah, let's be done. Let's be done with it.
1: So, definitely when um, we started talking, um, very quickly, because, you know, if anybody's listened to this podcast long enough, like, you know that Erin and I both are ex-fundamentalist Christians, <laughs> and um, Catherine was like, oh, I used to be in ministry, and I was like, girl, we could have a long, long conversation, and now here we are having a long <laughs> conversation, um, and you have mentioned um, this kind of, this, Thought process of yours, and I don't think we've heard you out all the way. And I really want to hear about your thoughts on um, fat phobia mm-hmm. and how it's connected to, or how it was connected
2: to your faith.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, can you break that down? Yeah. Um, so first of all, if if any of you out there don't know what fundamentalism is, there's you know, fundamentalism exists in lots of different worldviews and religion. Basically, it's when whatever your faith system is, when it includes very rigid and restrictive principles or guidelines or dogma, and often these are patriarchal ideas. Often they oppress women, um, and they're they're usually alienating anybody in the LGBTQ communities. So, the 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 connection that I experienced when I was um, a part of fundamentalist Christianity was this connection between um, weight being part of your brokenness, like if you had more weight on your body than they determined was um, quote-unquote appropriate or average-sized. I saw a documentary a while ago, and honestly, I looked to see if I could find it, and I, I couldn't. I was pretty disappointed. but. Earl Roberts University used to have a weight limit and there was this interesting story about um, a young woman who was really passionate about her faith and loved her college but she got suspended from school because during the course of her uh, semester her weight went up and then she had the summer to lose x amount of pounds and then she didn't make weight for college. And was expelled in the humiliation mm-hmm. of not being able to return with her peers to pursue a vocation that include honoring God because her body wouldn't conform to a rigid requirement that was based on what? Mm. Right? Based on what? Arbitrary information. So there's a verse in the Bible that talks about, like, it is of some benefit to work out the body, but so much more to work out the spirit. Do you guys know that verse? Mm-hmm. I'm not quoting it perfectly, and I won't. I won't do okay, it. I couldn't tell yeah. you where it was located, but... <laughs> so <clears throat> they took that verse and said, well, it is of some profit, so let's... They, they use the, the phraseology of, like, let's develop the whole person. That's what we do here at Earl Roberts University we develop the whole person. So, and then I read, when I was trying to find that old documentary I saw they still are doing this in 2016 they had all the freshman class by fitbits they all had to have fitbits and you had to meet a quota so they're 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 including this and they're saying this is a good thing about our school is we develop the whole person and you're going to leave here with um, physical fitness as part of your degree yeah wow. yeah and so you know again that was those are articles from 2 years ago and i didn't i was kind of grossed out and i didn't keep digging to see if they're still doing it because You know, it's so blatantly um, discriminatory. And and the fact that they coached it in religious language just feels very icky, like icky to me. And I, I had to put it down and say that was enough. So that's an extreme example of what I experienced in the church where there was just this belief that you weren't good enough or holy enough because if you could pray enough or be disciplined enough, then your body would conform. And again, the church, especially fundamentalists, they make a big thing about being of the world, in the world, but not of it. Mm-hmm. But fat phobia is of the world. And they adopted that just like anything. Mm-hmm. So their bias about fatness was absolutely in step with the American shift towards this is what the ideal is. And it's no longer a more voluptuous figure.
1: I was just th- sitting here thinking, like, kind of like a chicken or the egg scenario like what came first did it did it happen in fundamentalism first or was it in the culture first yeah so are you saying that you think it was in the culture first
2: that would be my guess and you know there are a lot of people that are you know better informed scholars about the history of fetphobia in western culture or specifically in american culture but what i do know is the shift happened when you know, f- human nature—we tend, we tend to elevate what's unattainable. So the elite have access to food, and so once upon a time it was like the best thing to be fat, right? Mm-hmm. And fither on the wa- roof, he wants his white wife to have a proper double chin because mm-hmm. they finally will have enough money. Right. Um, and and now access to thinness is you know a white privilege thing. Is the elite people and you know. Um, so so this is what the, is the goal now. And the fact that this exists in our Western society, I, when the church really adopted this, I, I feel like from, from my own experience, it just seems like it was probably just in step with when the culture at large started making these conclusions.
1: Yeah. And it's so sad. I mean, when you, when you first kind of mentioned um, that, pro, that thought process that, um, to us, I immediately thought about like the word gluttony.
2: Oh yeah, like that's
1: that definitely was a mark upon. I know me, my my entire like experience in church was that I was, you know, the sin of sloth or the Mm -hmm. sin of gluttony or
0: or not having self control.
2: Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There was like I was um, I was weak Mm -hmm. already just because I was fat. Yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah, and that goes along with the idea that um, the the idea that we learned at some point in our history—I don't know if it was in the '60s or when this um, this knowledge became popular knowledge—but the idea that calories in, calories out, right? Mm. So the the fact that there's a lot of good research, real academic research out there that says you can be healthy at any size. There's been talk on your podcast already about the Hayes movement, mm. health at every size, um, but also. When when this idea that calories in, calories out is what equaled fatness, it was an incredible oversimplification, right? And again, this, this happened, I think, in the larger culture first, and then the church just grabbed it and was like, oh, if you're fat, then you're obviously a glutton because that's the only way fatness happens. Mm-hmm. And it was just misinformation yeah. that then became incredibly profitable, right? And it became profitable even in the Christian community. I mean, how many Christian diet programs are out there? Mm. Girl, the way down diet. I know. Mm. I know. And if you continue to be fat, then there's something wrong with you spiritually. Yeah. Especially when you apply dieting and spirituality together with misinformation that it really is literally just calories in, calories out, you are setting people up for an incredible amount of shame, spiritual shame, and the shame of fatness. Right? So you've got shame in the church, shame in the world, and and Christianity likes to presuppose the idea that we're about freedom yeah Mm -hmm. that you know there's this savior and now you can be free except in fundamentalism it also means only if you follow these specific rules and believe this very specific way right and then also now let us control all these little parts of your body you know from our reproductive rights to also how much space you take up yeah right And then you add in the patriarchy, the patriarchy, in, and then you've got like, well, now you've got roles as a wife or a mother, and and so there's just a lot of yoke. There's a lot of weight upon this freedom that's offered to you, and it it ultimately doesn't end up being particularly free. Mm. So,
1: so, Catherine, yeah, we asked you about like when you identified as fat. So I'm curious about, um, when did you start feeling this yoke? And what did that look like when you started breaking away and becoming really free?
2: Yeah. Um, so, do you specifically mean about fundamentalism in my faith, or of
1: I think fatness? it, it, it
2: kind of goes hand in hand, right? It, it's separated by nearly a decade, but there is a real connection I see. So, um, first of all, I still have a, a really strong faith mm-hmm. and spiritual life. It's really full of rich curiosity and and um, you know, even engaging um, in a really spiritual way. Spiritual way, and I go to church with my family. Um, but what wasn't working anymore was the idea that um, Christianity was limited to people who were straight, essentially. So for me and my my shifting away from fundamentalism, for me, the the core issue began with um, gay rights and whether or not gay people could be married. It created such an intense um, dissonance in me that I just, I couldn't really shake it. So the dissonance that was created in my spiritual life because the kind of Christianity that I was participating in was exclusive to straight people, Um, it, it started this process for me of greater and greater dissonance with um some some additional fundamentalist ideas. So not only did I want um my understanding then was salvation, not only did I want salvation for um you know all people gay and lesbian straight queer um gender nonconforming. I I also wanted to believe that that the God that I was really intimately in love with that I worshiped and adored also adored people who had just a different faith. Who came from parts of the world where, you know, again, um, Christianity that I was a part of really taught that, you know, if someone has never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, then they just don't have access to heaven. And that, again, created a really intense dissonance. And their their emphasis was then that's why missions is so essential, that's why evangelism is so essential, that's what God asked us all to do, and the people that we didn't get to in time, we've let them down somehow, right, and we're somehow responsible for another human being's soul. So. These are all really weighty things, and it it was a lot to put on a human being. And I I decided I was in therapy at the time, which was so exciting for me because I was, for the first time, even though this was a Christian therapist, I was um, in an environment where I was allowed to question some of the things in fundamentalism that ultimately I began to see as harmful, One of the main things that I still think about today as a harmful attribute of fundamentalist fundamentalist Christianity is the idea that you have to erase yourself. So there's a Christian concept of dying to self, which again, isn't entirely a terrible idea, the idea that you would be selfless or generous, but taken to an extreme degree, There's this idea that you die to yourself so much that Jesus Christ can live through you, that you should be Jesus Christ to the world. And, you know, I think we all agree, Christian and not Christian. Jesus, while he was on the earth, was a pretty good dude. He saw the outliers of society and welcomed them in. I don't see evangelical Christianity doing that, you know? Yeah. Um, So anyway, I began this process not on purpose. It just just sort of happened. Um, And... I had met my husband uh, early in the process and he and I had a lot in common and then my spiritual worldview started shifting, um, significantly so, and I was, at that point we get engaged and I think he thought, we both probably thought that this is just a season that I'm in and I'll, it'll come full circle and I'll go back to being, you know, a Bible-loving Christian. And it just didn't happen that way. So I'm not anti-Bible necessarily, it's just my relationship with the Bible today is a lot different than it was. And it took about 10 years, a whole decade, to um, let the parts of fundamentalism Christianity that I began to see as not helpful to me in my spiritual journey sort of slough off, so that the spirituality that i have today is this really free and beautiful authentic spiritual- spirituality that's full of curiosity and that's really open that it's inclusive for all kinds of people and the connection to fat phobia is is here this is what i think is really exciting so the process of leaving fundamentalism is painful. It's painful because your identity is wrapped up in it. For me, my worldview and what I thought about what happened to you after you die. So in my mind, eternity is wrapped up in it. My whole social structures, structure is wrapped up in it. And and But I had to be the most authentic, true me because I couldn't live a lie. And, and in a lot of ways, Christianity taught me not to live a lie. So I needed to be authentically myself, which means I had to say goodbye to these hugely important parts of my identity, and and this social construct, the social construct of conservative Christianity I had to say goodbye to. So when I started learning about fatphobia, suddenly I could see how it too was just an additional social construct. This one bled beyond just the church. This was our whole entire Western culture, and even more than Western, there's other countries that are also fatphobic. Asian com- countries can be pretty fatphobic too. So. So on a nearly global ideal that uh, small is better than big. And the amount of dissonance that I carried all the way into my late 30s about having a large body and the pain of that and the shame of that um, was absolutely just because of this made-up idea that I could decide to not give a shit about anymore. And there are all these women out there that have already been doing this, have done all this incredible work. And I, it just started to make me feel so incredibly excited and so incredibly hopeful. And, and so what I was sharing with you earlier is this idea that, in my mind, for someone who's had to go through the pain of leaving something like a fundamentalist um, religious uh, experience, I think it's easier to, in, to go through the journey of leaving fat phobia. Or letting go of the thin ideal that you guys talked about last week, because you've done it already, right? And these are just social constructs. And so they're just they're imaginary as much as they're real, right? They're real because they're they're told to us over and over again, but they're told to us with words and concepts. They are not a tangible real thing. This is a made-up thing, everybody, that we can choose to not believe because it's just not actually factual you know and again there's a lot of good scientific data to support the fact that your body is probably fine and you can be healthy at any size and also by the way health is not a a mandate it's not a moral (laughs) mandate by the way for each yeah i I will (laughs) preach for (laughs) you
0: it was um it was so good to hear you say that and so happy to hear you talk about it deeper because um I connect it to a lot of liberation work, um, you know, because uh, thinking about, like, racial justice, you know, once you start doing your work in that and and learning more and more deeper into that, uh, once you see one injustice, you start to see more injustices, right? right? And so it makes so much sense to me that then, yeah, once you've liberated yourself from one thing it's a little bit easier to do the next one and a little bit easier to do the next one, you know? Yeah. Um, I think that's so powerful to think about. Yeah. And it's such a, like it's, uh, it's, it inspires me even more to keep doing the work.
2: That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I mentioned there was a gap between me leaving fundamentalism and finding fat liberation. And the gap for me also included learning about social justice issues. This is another real gaping failing of the evangelical church is that they, they, They are concerned about the soul of a human being, so much so that they aren't actually engaging in much social justice work, which I think is a real pity, and it grieves me tremendously. So um, at this point, I'm a parent and attending a church that's, you know, a a little bit diverse, not super diverse, but um, my children are being befriended by this young boy who happens to be black, and um, the death of Trayvon Martin happened, and I I was... So incredibly gripped by it. I've always cared about racism and I didn't know how to find a role in it again because my involvement in Christianity sort of told us that that wasn't the most important thing, that salvation was the most important thing. So, um, but anyway, it, it gripped me in a way that I. I, I had to. I had to find a way to have have a role in ending white silence and, and and adding my voice to the conversation, or sitting back and doing what I can to get the microphone into the hands of people of color Um, and again educating myself about all this and reading a lot of people of color authors um, learning what white feminism is and learning about feminism in general because again in the evangelical church feminism is a bad word which is so Mm -hmm. sad to me because it's just about equality so because of my interest in social justice I learned more about feminist feminism and then I learned the term intersectional feminism which is my new favorite term ever because if you're a feminist then you care about all people um, having equal treatment and an intersectional feminist as I understand it is someone who's actively trying to put the microphone into people's hands who have always been marginalized and have been the least heard and so these are people who are people of color or people who um Differently able, uh, yeah. So, and then again, like I'm really fascinated by how young people in today's society are are, are identifying their gender differently, and I think that's all fascinating. The whole non-binary spectrum and and um, gender being different than sexuality. This is a whole new beautiful world, right? And I just I think there's a place for all of us there. And again, that's what intersectional feminism is actively pursuing. Is is highlighting the marginalized, which I really, really appreciate.
1: It also feels like the deconstruction of your faith mm. is was almost necessary in order for you to see these things, you know, because as yeah. we're talking and just listening to your story, it, it just sounds like, and, and I think that Ian and I both probably agree and have very similar experiences, it feels like you, ha- you had to say goodbye to, Goodbye to the what you knew for so long, in order to receive all this new information. Yeah,
2: because you weren't allowed to receive it there, too. Right. That's the other tricky thing is there is this uh, clear line in the sand about what was quote secular versus what was Christian, and and you were actively told to avoid things that were secular. And, you know, sharing with you earlier how really alarming that is to me now because limiting what you're allowed to read or watch or expose yourself to is, is mind control 101. It's brainwashing techniques. So, and again, I do understand where they're coming from. I'm not trying to paint everyone in this world as evil. I had wonderful experiences with a lot of people when I was a fundamentalist and um, And and experienced a lot of love, too. But it was love that that had to be limited because there were certain lines that you couldn't cross. And if you dared get close to a line or cross a line, then you were essentially, though they don't use the term, excommunicated. So I was absolutely excommunicated. There are people that I loved and went to Bible college with and some of them that I served with that have no relationship with me anymore. Um, Mm. So, again, so there's that tension of, like, I don't mean to perpetuate this idea that someone who is um, a conservative Christian is what they're characterized as in the media, you know, this um, uh, aggressive religious right that's mean-spirited. I really don't think they are mean-spirited. The majority of them are, are just loving and feel compelled by their dogma that this, this is what has to be. Otherwise, they're turning their back on God, and they lose their faith in their religion and their community and their support system, and, you know, goes on and on
1: yeah yeah it kind of makes me think about uh the imagery that erin painted in our last conversation about that dang box Mm. that you're carrying up a hill Mm -hmm. and there's all these people carrying the box with you
0: you know i (laughs) i've been thinking about the box all week yeah what about
1: that
0: box well and just uh like i feel like there's a lot you can do with that imagery but um I I am, I'm feeling a little bit convicted of like just kind of putting that out there in the world um, without also saying like, it's okay to carry the box when you need to carry the box. And I don't, I don't know if we, I don't know if I said that enough, but like uh, after I listened to the last episode again, after we were talking, I was like, You know, we've talked about the freedom that we feel when um, we've kind of let go of a lot of these things, but um, the freedom comes with some sort of price, Mm -hmm. and it may not be a price that you are able in this moment to Mm -hmm. pay, Mm -hmm. Um, especially... Um, in the way of privilege, Mm -hmm. I, I just want to recognize that like, like I hold certain privileges because of who I am and you know, there are things like, I don't, you know, when it comes, we talked about the, like the hierarchy of needs, like Mm -hmm. I have food and I have shelter and I have safety, you know, um, but there are literally people who that is actually, uh, more important and because of that, they need to carry the box, Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. I know that kind of like complicates our conversation a little bit because...
2: Well, I think maybe not so much because I think what I am saying is in my life, I had to live what was authentic for me Mm -hmm. and it didn't happen overnight. But, you know, for those of you out there that are maybe just dipping your toe in there into this journey, this process, it it really is about what is authentic for you. What What is your voice saying to you you know i think again that's a challenge about fundamentalist christianity is that you're constantly told not to trust yourself Mm -hmm. Um, you're told to 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 question your own thoughts and your feelings but if we can turn our own voices up louder and maybe you have a spirituality and maybe you want to say you know well what is god saying to me right now again, if it feels authentic, right, if it's generated from within you, not externally, where are you in this process? And so I think that goes along with like, you know, the box analogy is pretty beautiful. And, and maybe, um, maybe you're like, hey, I think I'm getting a smaller box today. <laughs> and that's beautiful. And that is freedom. That's mm. growth, right? And then maybe you maybe your box turns into like this blinged out little purse handbag. <laughs> I mean, it can be whatever you want it to be, right? right? This is your journey. This is your life. This is your experience. And and I'm sitting here championing all of us to just to think for ourselves um, and to to be responsive to what is happening within within our hearts and minds. And then to take that next risk. And sometimes it might be a scary big risk, but it's the thing that the the dissonance can become so loud you can't do anything but respond because the pain of not changing becomes greater than the pain and scariness of changing. That's real. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's real.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think that is a good like a good reminder <laughs> of because sometimes it's hard to recognize the pain when you're in it. Mhm. But, yeah, that recognition of, oh, no, it's actually I need to move. I need to change. I right. need to, yeah. you know, let whatever happen, whatever needs to happen, happen. Because yeah. it, it will be yeah. less painful, hopefully, in the long run. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm so appreciative and inspired by the work that you've done in your life and and your story. And I want to get kind of to the meat of who you are today Mm -hmm. you know we've talked a lot about your past but um you're doing some amazing things today and um yeah so can you talk about um kind of how art came to you or how you came to art Mm -hmm. and uh what did that look like for you and, and and then how did um body positivity and fat liberation come into
2: your art yeah absolutely So around the same time that I first started hearing the term, um, I've heard body positivity sort of more generically, but like the idea of fat activism, Um, it was around the same time that I was diagnosed with a chronic illness that actually contributes to to my body size. Um, And this is probably a good opportunity to just put this out there and raise a little awareness about something called lipedema. And you can look at the website, and I'm sure it'll be in the the notes too, but there's Um, lipedema.org. It's the most recent cutting-edge information and research about lipedema. Lipedema is a fat condition where fatty deposits um, end up on your body, usually in the lower half and sometimes on your upper arm, and they happen to be painful. And they're connected to um, uh, impaired lymphatic system, and there's some additional... Components to this illness, so chronic fatigue and sometimes anxiety and depression are also coupled in there. It's interesting because there's a real um, there's a real lack of understanding about it and research. It was first diagnosed at the Mayo Clinic in the 1940s, um, and so the Mayo Clinic is um, pretty reputable, but there was never any funding or energy behind it because fat women in pain didn't garner much attention, mm. right? So, <clears throat> so, the fact that depression and anxiety is coupled along with this um, physical, the physical pain of lipedema, um, you could make a case for the fact that it's because we suffer because of fat phobia. So, someone who lives in a fat phobic society but is living in a fat body is subjected to scrutiny and um, sometimes abusive language. Um, you know, when my body went from being what's considered a small fat before I had children, I, was, I wasn't given much attention, but I was allowed to exist without much um, scorn. And then my body changed really rapidly and grew quite a bit after I had my kids. They were born just 21 months apart from each other. Uh, Lipedema, the onset is usually around puberty, but there's a progression. It's a progressive disease um, during major hormonal shifts and during major bouts of stress. So in, in my experience, um, when I was experiencing tremendous loss after losing a parent, my body changed really rapidly. After I had my two kids, my body changed quite a bit. Um, my body may very likely change again and grow more, impair my mobility um, when I get closer to menopause. This is a reality that I live with. So within the lipedema community, I started to see and get to know First, the diagnosis was pretty overwhelming. It was a, a lot to take in. It it did. It was a first sort of uh, step for me realizing that I'd been lied to by fat phobia and diet culture. Right? That oh well. I'm not fucking crazy. (laughs) I I knew that I hadn't been eating absurd amounts of calories. And so I was undermined. It's like the whole gaslighting, right? Diet culture is gaslighting all of us because calories in, calories out is a myth that has been debunked scientifically, but is still lingering, holding on tightly in our culture as though it is the gospel Bible. And it is not. It's just something that's convenient and that is profited by, right? So... When I learned that I had this condition, that fatness, in my personal experience, it's not about calories in or calories out. And it doesn't matter, for God's sakes, why my body's fat. Just because I'm fat doesn't mean I don't deserve dignity. And Mm -hmm. so my body went from being, like I said, a small fat to a large fat or a super obese fat. Um, And I was just out trying to take my kids to the park, and I was met with outright scorn. And people wouldn't make eye contact with me. And I didn't feel... I didn't feel good. I felt um, I felt the weight of fat phobia really heavily. And the truth is, is I had internalized it too. I felt pretty shitty in my body. Plus, I was in all this pain, and I didn't know why. Plus, I was depressed, and I didn't know why. And it took three years after my second child before I was like, oh, maybe this is postpartum depression. Maybe I should go to the doctor. Anyway, that began the long process of trying to figure out what was wrong with me. In the lipidema community, I think... Understandably so. Women continue to be incredibly fat phobic because they feel the outrage of like, I don't want this, I don't want this extra weight on my body. I still would like to attain this thin ideal and and they feel victimized by the fact that they are they have this disease that they can't control. And if they didn't have the disease, maybe they could have control over their bodies. It's a bit of a misnomer because whether or not you have a chronic illness, we don't actually have that much control over the fatness of our bodies. That was a lie that we've been (laughs) fed that other people have profited by. We don't profit by that. It depresses us and it creates anxiety, it creates stress, creates depression. So again, Lipoedema showed me that that lie existed and then I got to know the community of women with lipedema, and I, my heart just hurt for them because as much as I w- loved them and wanted to be a part of this community, I started embracing more and more the idea that, like, well, I don't have to hate my body, though. I can just be as kind to it as I possibly can because my body's in less pain when I'm not stressed out, and it's definitely in less pain when I'm not hating it and feeling shame and refusing to wear um, summer appropriate attire because I'm embarrassed about what some stranger may or may not think about me, that's oppression. Mm. We can live without that kind of oppression that's available to us. We just got to change the way we think about it. Maybe changing that big box for a littler box or a shiny purse. <laughs> oh, there's more about how it got to the art. So yeah. I left up. So my, <laughs> my desire to cheer for people within the lipidemic community is, um, Gave me this great idea about, well, how can I marry, um, you know, fat activism or body positivity to the lipedema community? And they have a conference every year. The Lipidema Foundation does a, a conference, um, or the Lipidema Research Foundation, <clears throat> where it's just education. So patients come, doctors come. Physical therapists come and it's a great place for all of us to learn like what's the newest research and then vendors come because compression garments are involved in this. Um, Later stages, lipedema can turn into lymphedema and so there's a lot of education around that too. Um, One of the treatments that you can have for lipidema is liposuction, so surgeons come too um, because it doesn't respond to traditional diet and exercise. Some people feel like sucking these fat cells out is the way to go. Um, And that can sometimes damage the lymph system And so some people have great success with it, some people don't. I have decided for myself that I probably won't pursue that. And um, again, right now my mobility, uh, my lifestyle is is doable. Again, and I'm not in a lot of pain as long as I keep my stress low. So I said, hey, here's my submission for a a workshop I'd like to teach. I wanna talk about how we can use art to love our bodies. And um, they said, okay. So I did an art workshop for them, and I did um, uh, the Friday night keynote talking about um, the connection between fat phobia and shame and internalized shame and how that creates stress in our body and more and more weight gain, especially in the lipoedema community, which is a perpetual cycle. That if we choose to engage in a different cycle, then we at least get that one step closer to healing, right? So your body really will heal better if you're not constantly subjected to shame because shame equals cortisol in our body, Mm -hmm. which is a stress hormone which accelerates inflammation so i did that class and i loved it and then i brought it home i live in the bay area and so i occasionally still hold workshops i continue to make art with very diverse bodies and um, just through natural networking and putting art up on instagram i'm meeting wonderful people like you fine folks i'm getting more connected with the fat community in the bay area and they're amazing i love them and one more full circle back to what fundamentalism was like You know, in Christianity, there's a lot of talk about unconditional love. But the most love I've ever experienced was being at a fat, positive um, event in the Bay Area, put on by Big Moves Bay Area. It was their Halloween event where they do a, a chocolate tasting and dance performance. And I was in the most diverse room, the most intersectional room I've ever been in. And I was the least aware of or self-conscious about my body as I'd ever experienced. It was a child-friendly event, and so my kids were there. Neither one of my children look fat or identify as fat, and it didn't even—they didn't even cross their mind that in the room, this big, big room was full of fat women and, and men too. A, but it, I just loved that so much. And I was um, again—I've never been in a space where my body, which is, is categorized would be like super fat, was just an average middle-of-the-rung body in this room full of celebratory people so much love and it felt amazing I was practically glowing for days and days and days after that so shout out to Big Moves Bay Area you guys are doing great stuff there and I'm really grateful to be involved
0: yeah I definitely shout out to them because I mean we see them on social media a lot yeah
2: it's so dreamy yeah. like, can't we have they, that here yeah they do real dances and choreo- choreography yeah. and it's so beautiful it's gorgeous watching them healed something in me i didn't know needed healing mm. so beautiful yeah that
0: feels so similar to when we talk uh about the the clothing swaps of just being in a space where we didn't yeah. have to be so cognizant uh. of space we were taking right, up, right where actually the space we were taking up was celebrated mm. and was desired and yeah. like welcomed and yeah 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 you're right it's magical, magical. like and definitely I'd never experienced anything like that in church right I don't know about you Amanda
1: no not at all and I definitely my, my brain automatically was going to this place of you know unconditional love and how that is taught yeah And fundamentalism, and then so like for you to like make that transition, Mm -hmm. I was like yes because um, for me the first time that I really experienced like true unconditional love was within the LGBTQ community. Mm, Yeah, and when I um, was working with the organization PFLAG, and when I was um, there as just like a volunteer after the horrendous shooting at the Orlando club, um, I just felt so convicted because I was like what is this feeling that's going on here in this space with these people that are going through a terrible tragedy within their community and yet there's so much acceptance there's so much grace yeah and I was like I've never experienced this and I'm the person that's supposed to be like Mm. doling out grace like Jesus you know um so yeah like it's so interesting that it's like the real grace, the real conditional mm-hmm. love, like, was found outside right. <laughs> of the rigidness yeah. of fundamentalism. Because, again,
2: it's the word condition, right? Yeah. And that's the tricky thing because... I think if you dial it back, you know, in, in a fundamentalist environment, there is obviously conditions, right? Yeah. And, right. and there's a dissonance there because they they really believe that it's unconditional. They want it to be unconditional and it's in their framework available to all people. But then once you have this taste of unconditional love, then you got to follow all the rules, mm-hmm. right? And what's so beautiful about, about marginalized communities is that when we're all together, we we don't have conditions and yeah. we we get to experience freedom and so freedom is love right mm-hmm. and then the lack of judgment is is freedom and then freedom is love and so it's powerful because then we don't have a set of rules that you have to follow
1: yeah and then you don't have to enforce those rules either because that's part of it too that right you grew up in it yeah and so you also are judging other people for not yeah. fitting the mold honestly i would say just real talk that is for me even one of the hardest things to let go of is letting go of the mm. judging mind mm. um, that I grew up with. Sure. Um, so like I, I it will occasionally just kind of show up in a little quip inside my head and then yeah. I have to kind of love it. <laughs> yeah, Just like let it, you know, love it, see it for what it is um, and then just let it go. Yeah. You know, because it's really all you can do is just keep seeing it, keep calling it, kind of calling it forward saying, yeah. Yeah, I, we don't have to do that anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, you can go rest now. Yeah. Um, because being in those safe spaces and those free spaces, like not having to devote any of that, any of your energy to that kind of oppressive negativity, it, it is freedom. Right. It truly is freedom. Just yeah. to be with people. Yeah. And see people. And as you were kind of describing, like, you know, the beauty of how people are identifying, you know, and just mm-hmm. being like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, which, you know, that was never given to me growing mm-hmm. up that wasn't that was considered no no mm-hmm. um so to now have the freedom of it's acceptable and okay and they're not harming me right like i'm not being yeah. harmed here yeah like you know it's just just because it's not something that i identify as does not make, make it wrong right and i can just sit here in this space with this person yeah and just be with another human
2: right that is freedom and recognize their their humanity and they deserve dignity yeah that all human beings again intersectional feminism is simply all human beings deserve dignity and we should treat them as such Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. well so I am I am super curious kind of back to your art a little bit Um, we run into And we talk about a lot, too, you know, also the concept of self-love, so Mm -hmm. loving yourself and loving your body. Yeah. Um, And we're big proponents of, you know, letting um, body neutrality be enough. Oh, yeah. When it needs to be. So I'm curious, like, so some of the art you've done, you said you've you've used yourself as some of the forms, you know. What has been your, your journey or your experience also with self-love?
2: Oh, yeah. Well, that's a great question. Well, um, so the art that I started getting interested in doing was, again, it was born out of the idea that <clears throat> I didn't see any art that I saw myself in positively portrayed. And I wanted to change the narrative So the figures that I do, I do figurative mixed media art. Mixed media simply means I can do whatever the hell I want to do. I can buy all of the art supplies and play with everything and use glitter if I want to. And then I'll take photos of it and then I'll digitally edit it some more and it's amazing. Um, So being someone who craves freedom, I think it's interesting that I'm attracted to mixed media because it's nothing but endless freedom. Really epic and wonderful um so again my first thought was uh exposure so you know this is also a biblical concept the idea of renewing your mind we know that verse right so curating your feed did I hear you guys use this term before mm-hmm. so um Instagram has been sort of a new thing for me I used to do just Facebook because I didn't face I didn't do Instagram yet but when I started doing I was like oh I can, I can only follow what I want to follow so I follow artists tons and tons of art is in my newsfeed constantly and then all of these body positive people Um, and then um, Hayes practitioners health at every size um, eating disorder recovery therapists Uh, they're really attracted to my art too Um, and then this really beautiful network of people where they follow me and I follow them and I'm like this is amazing so everything in my newsfeed is a pep talk a rejection of diet culture, and beautiful art. Mm-hmm. And I'm renewing my mind, and I'm seeing more and more diverse bodies, and it's so beautiful, and it changes. It absolutely has changed the wiring of my mind so that every time I look at myself, I see a more favorable image. And then so this this principle is really true in the art that I'm my making. So again, first I wanted to take it to the women with lipedema at this conference. So what I did is I <clears throat> I brought individual like little cardboard silhouettes on beautiful paper like um, scrapbooking paper you know how it's like kind of cardstocky but has beautiful patterns so I used this cricket machine one of my crafty things and it cut I upload an image and it cuts it out and so I had like like tons and tons of these beautiful little silhouettes and they could keep them and use them as a bookmark or they could make their own little mixed media paper art project and um, when we look at an image that's you know different than the thin ideal but see beauty in it it can't help it trans it transforms our brain and we can't help but start to take in a more favorable view of ourselves so then um, predominantly all the all the figures that i do now are real people and a few of them are still just sketches i've done over, over the last several months but i really feel like there's a life force when i get to do a real person and i'll take their silhouette and sometimes i'll i'll even just trace it and get it as exactly as i can and then, you know, I'll play with it, I digitally edit it, I I paint it, so that, again, the work that I do, I want it to be as intersectional as possible, so um, I I don't want any image to have to be, like, a white person, or a black person, or an Asian person, it can be any person, and then, um, yeah, so, so when I was like getting a little bored with the amount of um, poses that I had, I was like, "Oh well, I'm just gonna like I'm gonna try like I'm gonna sit on the floor in this sort of sideways way, and and I'll just try that." And and the image ultimately looks like um like a nude figured silhouette, but I actually take a photo with clothes on, and my models always usually have clothes on, and I just kind of imagine where all the beautiful rolls and curves would be, and how the breasts might lie if they were unbound, and um and it just keeps improving, like. Body neutrality is what I feel when I'm having a bad body day, Mm -hmm. which feels fucking amazing. (laughs) I'm I'm not exaggerating that I still have bad days and sometimes I'll feel depressed too because this is just part of my life that I'm learning to live with and accept. But on a good day, I feel so good in my body and on a bad day I'll see a reflection of myself and I'll just be neutral. I'll just be like, that's my body and there's no more pain anymore. And this has been, the, the art has been happening for just about a year now of intensive making art. I make a piece every single day and post it on Instagram. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Every, day. every day. Well, since I started, I've been doing it approximately three months, I think. You'd have to go back and see. But I do, and sometimes I'll I'll do a few ahead, and um, sometimes I'm just, like, playing around with whatever images are on my phone, and I'll tweak it and put it up there. and. But yeah, I, I do, and it's it's like a fun game for me. And I this community is amazing, and um, again, there's a lot of artists that I follow, and they follow me, and there's more and more people that I'm like, oh, they liked it, and I we we sort of know each other, you know, mm-hmm. as, as virtual friends.
0: Yeah, I, I guess I'm just struck by that, that every day. I think I'm uh, ritual is something that I'm yeah. really into, yeah. and so that feels like a really beautiful ritual. Yeah, that. Um, yeah. Every day I take You're a large bodied that.
2: figure and I make it into a new piece of art. Yeah. Every single day I do that.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, of course your mind is renewed. Like yeah. You can't help. Yeah. But start to see things yeah. differently. And
2: that's how powerful I think the creative process is. I mean, maybe your creative outlet is writing. Maybe it's poetry. I met this cool woman on Instagram who's this brilliant poet and she liked one of my pieces. And so now we're going to talk about doing a collaboration where she adds poetry to an image that I do. Wow. Yeah. So, and maybe wow. comedy is your creative outlet. Like I know your husband is into comedy, but mm-hmm. there's this comedian. She contacted me cuz she likes a piece of my art and she invited me to participate in her like she's building a fat comedy troupe and she wants my art to be part of their their publicity, you know? And I'll create their logo and I'm like, this is amazing. So again, creativity, engaging our creativity in the process of renewing our minds and embracing whatever journey we're on. You know, whatever the process you're you're in to get that box to be the next smaller box or the pretty sequence purse. Like find your creative outlet. Like what is it for you? Could it be dancing? Mm-hmm. Fat dancers are so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, is it storytelling? Is it writing a novel with a fat heroine? I mean poetry, dancing, art, get some mixed media. Clay, like do your kids have play-doh and you want to mm-hmm. get it out and make yeah, mm-hmm. yeah.
0: Well and I think too that um, speaks to me of like everyone's got some creativity in them absolutely you know yeah like I wonder for you 15 years ago would you have imagined you would be on Instagram putting
2: art out there no especially with (laughs) with images that seem like naked ladies I was very prudish and conservative (laughs) I was taught they'd be very covered up and so yeah and I was in my late 30s I was 38 before I could even call myself an artist Mm. yeah yeah yeah
0: I think I think you're right there's something about letting your authentic creativity come out to play, Mm -hmm. um, that, um, aids in this liberation yeah well they are
2: about. connected right so it's the essential self and <clears throat> it's it's following to use a martha beck term martha beck is a, an american uh, life coach following your own north star right and turning up the volume of your own voice and so who's in there like let's get to know that person and let her come alive and, and manifest and and find out what creativity she has to offer the world she or he or they
1: in the, yeah That's so true. Uh, You know, I I used to have this rule for a long time that because I have a lot of conservative family members um, that I wouldn't delete anybody off of Facebook Mm -hmm. or minimize their feed or whatever. Um, But, you know, when we started Fat Face Feelings, um, the community, the fat positive community was the first time that I, you know, really like wanted to manage what, you know, we were seeing. Which I mean, you know... uh, we follow a variety of people, um, you know, and more people um, follow us than I think we follow people, but like um, it's been really educational in the way that it made me realize how important it is to manage your feed. Um, because what we, what we ingest on a daily basis has an yeah. impact on yes. us. It does. And it definitely, I mean, I definitely spend more time on Instagram now than I ever have. <laughs> um, and, but I, de- I spend very little time on Facebook because when I get on Facebook, like mm-hmm. those same people are still there. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there's still my family and, you know, some friends and, um, and I and I immediately just kinda have to go shake my head or I see something that's fat phobic or diet culture related. And um, you know, if if I'm feeling extra feisty, I might say something um or take a post and edit it and then post it back, you know, <laughs> like I've done that and it's you know, it's just all ha. Um but on Instagram So often I just feel like I'm constantly being renewed because Mm. I feel like I'm also constantly being educated by all these super amazing, talented humans who are kind enough to share their art, their experiences, their pain. Yeah. It's just, it's a totally unique and beautiful place where, you know, unfortunately, occasionally we have to deal with the occasional negative troll human. Mm-hmm. Um, which is just kind of sad that any human wants to spend their time, yeah, you know, being like that. But um, overall, like, it's just, it really has been beneficial. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So, yeah. Yeah. I resonate with your experience. Can I just say something quick about, I've been enjoying listening to all your podcasts, and <laughs> they really are a joy, and I know I said this to you earlier, but what I enjoy so much is the friendship you two have, mm-hmm. and I think it's so beautiful, and I think that's another kind of encouragement so we go back to the box illustration right and you've got both of you at the same time at the same time um or, or in step close in step right in tandem changing in for smaller boxes you know and then you know maybe Aaron you're like look at this bargo bag and like Amanda's like i want it and there's this really beautiful synergy right and so again for those of you out there that are you know trying to grow in this area is like finding your community and sometimes they're virtually found and
1: Mm -hmm. I'm lucky enough to
2: have a best friend who we haven't lived in the same geographical area for two decades and um we're in it together, yeah. yeah. And so, hello Holly. She'll yeah, definitely Holly. be listening. Holly, yay! We, <laughs> we love heard you. so much about yeah. Holly. Shout out yeah. Holly! <laughs> yay! So I just think that that's beautiful. And so sometimes you're lucky enough to have a person that's walking with you and carrying smaller boxes and finding the pretty purses, and um, in person. And sometimes we get to find them thanks to technology, mm-hmm. you know. And um, so, find your community. Yeah, it's it's. Better together. So famously, uh, I've been visiting a lot of my old students when I was a campus pastor doing vocational ministry. Um, My message that I preached everywhere was we get there together. I spent a long time, a long time talking about. Um, what mentorship really was and what close interpersonal relationships were and the potential they have, like spiritual friendships can be pretty powerful. And so <clears throat> they keep saying back to me like, oh, someone I know used to say we get there together. And I'm like, oh, yeah, it's so true. We printed up T-shirts that said we get there together. And um, so we do. Uh, human beings are are meant to be on this journey together. And so... I'm glad that you two have each other. Oh, it felt you. very much like meeting friends that I've known for a long time. <laughs> and um, yeah, so, and those of you out there, like, look for them. They're out there. Someone will come along.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I love the like we talk a lot about our thing is like drawing the circle wider right mm. i love yeah. your we get there together do,
2: especially with your analogy yeah. it works so well you're yeah. climbing up the mountain like i mean together. are we gonna stay on the mountain maybe there's like this cool resort on the other side yeah. we could sit by the pool and drink alcohol <laughs> our our tub, please. yes
0: well um there's a question we always ask okay. at the end, mm-hmm. <laughs> and we didn't warn you before, so. I've heard all your podcasts, though, so, so I you, know Okay, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so um, is there anyone or any certain thing right now that's inspiring
2: you that you want to share about? So the list is really long, and I didn't actually take the time to, like, <laughs> think it through and come up with, like, a concise answer. Um, it's everyone who's gone before me. Um, one of the first feminist writers I started following closely and reading everything she wrote was Virgie Tovar. She's in the Bay Area, and I think she's just amazing. You know, Lindy West. I I listened to her audiobook. She she told me her story with her own voice. I'm a um, little more than halfway through Jess Baker's, the militant baker. Her her book, and she's telling it to me in her own voice. Um, so people who who have paved the way for me to like. Just find freedom, I, I, and I—I I didn't have to do the backbreaking work. Other people went before me. You know who else inspires me? Is angry feminists inspire me? Mm-hmm. They inspire me because mm-hmm. the anger is justified. And again, um, in the background that I came from, it was um, the idea that this was somehow a negative, and they were bad, and they're just pissed off about whatever mm-hmm. that they didn't have penises. I don't know. <laughs> so they're characterized in a really negative way, but. But anger is there to show us that something is wrong and a boundary has been crossed. Mm-hmm. So every angry feminist that's gone out there and said, hey, we're allowed to be angry and we're gonna be angry about these things and they educated us, right? We've received these great educations. Now I actually get to do the work where I can acknowledge the anger, I can experience some of the anger myself, but I feel like I've, I've taken it to this place where I'm like, I don't actually feel angry, I feel, I feel hope, I feel connection, I, I see a path for all of us and that it doesn't have to be them against us or us against them but that I really feel like there's a consciousness that is lifting, right? And interestingly, leaving fat phobia is, is like one path, leaving fundamentalism is another path to all of us sort of increasing our consciousness to this higher level where we're able to see dignity and beauty in all human beings. We're not caught in the trappings of xenophobia or fear because real love is what casts out fear, right? And, and real love is actually seeing divinity and human dignity in other people. And so once we let go of these constructs, what other constructs do we get to get let go of? Maybe we let go of the construct, the social construct of scarcity. Maybe we don't have to constantly be vying for better this or that, right? So I feel like it's a, it's a path forward. So I'm grateful and thankful for... Everyone who has gone before me, everyone who has ever anger, angry and like said, it's OK to be angry about this and has made it possible for me to to see this path that we all can be on. Yes. Yay. Yeah. Yay, feminists. I, love I just love them so much. Seriously. I love how we both
1: had um, this like ball of yes inside of us mm-hmm. as soon as she was done. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: Um. Well, I think thank you probably isn't a big enough expression for what we feel um, for you, Catherine. You have been so gracious with yourself, um, just sharing of yourself with us, and um, that has filled me with life and excitement and, I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> I Yay! For it. <laughs> Took the mic away from her because yeah. she she
1: was in the emotions. <laughs> but um yeah, I I was gonna say that um, I think you're our inspiring person mm-hmm. um, this oh. week for sure. Um, your your just your generous generous spirit, your you know spontaneous energy mm-hmm. coming all the way up here. Um, it just it really it really did like you brought life. Mm with with yourself when you came here and you've given that to us so freely Mm. um so thank you for coming here and thank you for sharing your art with us literally the woman has sent me a print and then she's giving us another little print and um it just i mean girlfriend (laughs) you're so kind and um, we hope everybody will flood your instagram Mm. buy all your
0: art Yeah, so say all the places that people can find you on the interwebs.
2: Okay, well, I have a website called BelovedBodies.com, and that's where you can learn about the workshops that I teach. You can get in contact with me if you'd like me to speak at your event. I can speak passionately about leaving (laughs) fat phobia and how art can play an important role in that. You can follow me on Instagram. I'm just at Catherine Hack. And um, those are really the two main places. Yeah, so I'm out there. You can email me. Hit me up.
0: Do it. (laughs) Find Catherine. Find me. Do not hesitate. Pause. Go find her. Come back. Well, but really all we have to say is thanks for listening. We love you all so much. If you have a chance, give us a little rating or review over on the Apple Podcast. And we hope to see you next time.
1: Thank you, listeners. Thank you, Catherine. Okay. Thank you. We love you fat faces.